We're starting a brand new series this morning. You know, the theme of this year has been rebuilding the walls. And uh, the first quarter, the first three months of this year, we talked about rebuilding the wall of prayer. The second quarter, we talked about rebuilding the wall of worship. And uh, this morning, we're starting a brand new series where we're talking about rebuilding the wall of evangelism. And I, I think I told you last Sunday that Pastor Roger would be preaching next Sunday. Um, it'll be Sunday week if you're coming to hear Pastor Roger. In fact, he'll be out of town. He has another appointment next Sunday, but uh, Sunday week he'll be sharing with us about evangelism. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get right into this and, uh, and have a, a great time together. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to have fun this quarter. <laughs> Amen. Let me say again how glad we are to see everybody. And I see my friend, Pastor Banks, over here. God bless you, brother. Glad you're with us this morning. Um, I'm going to take as a text from the um, book of Matthew, I'm going I'm to read two passages of Scripture. First of all, from Matthew and then from Mark. And both of these are related to, in fact, they embody the great commission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's read first from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that little word lo there is just kind of inserted as a He's fixing to give you a command there. Lo, I am with you. A promise. Wow, this is good. Listen to this. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have a W on the end of it. I heard of uh, one kind of an elderly preacher that never had been on an airplane before, and he had to fly um, because somebody in his family had an emergency, and, and he was really resisting it. He, didn't want to, he just didn't want to go. He didn't want to fly, and they asked him why. And... He said, because Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, that, that's not the kind of low. This is, this is low wherever you are, whether you're in the air, on the land, or on the sea. He promised to be with you. Anybody glad about that promise? Isn't that a wonderful promise from the Lord? I'll just, I'll just go with you everywhere. Then from Mark chapter 16, some more of the Great Commission. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will have, by no means hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Like I said, this is the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you really want to latch on to this because these are the parting words before he ascended back to heaven. This is, this is his command to them before they left. You know, the, the final words of a loved one before they go home to be with the Lord, you, you, you strain to hear those words. You just, you, and you hang on to every word that they say. And and this is, Jesus is meeting with, this, the, with his disciples, and they know that very, very soon he's going to leave them. 
And so they're hanging on to every word. And he said, this, this is it. Now, I'm, I'm about to give you a command. I'm about to tell you what I want you to do when I have gone back to the Father. And I want you to notice here that the operative word is go. The operative word is go. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but in both Matthew and Mark, talking about the Great Commission and giving us each their part of it, the, the, the operative word is the word go. Somebody said two-thirds of God is go. The Lord wants the church to go, not stay. Uh, some folks like to sit, soak, and sour. And that's not what God called the church to do. He called us to get up and go, go into all the world. That's, that's his last command. And his last command should be our first priority. The last command that he gave us as a church. Now, this morning, I'm going to be preaching to the church. I'm preaching to us as a body of believers. I'm not, um, I'm not, if, <laughs> I'm not aiming at anybody in particular. Although, if I ring your phone, just pick up the receiver and, and, uh, and get the message. But, but I'm not shooting with a rifle this morning. I'm shooting with a shotgun. I'm hoping that I get everybody up here. And uh, myself included. Uh, you know, when I point out there, I got three of these fingers pointing back at me. This is the last command that Jesus gave to us as a church, as a body of believers, should have top priority in our lives. It should be our first priority. Secondly, his last command is our responsibility. We have a responsibility if we are going to profess his name, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we have a responsibility to do what he told us to do. And thirdly, his last command becomes our great opportunity. You, you may not realize it. You, you may say, preacher, boy, that sounds hard. I mean, it, 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 you know, I, I just, I'm really not into the witnessing thing and it's, it's not comfortable for me and it's not part of my nature. It's not easy for me. Well, it's our responsibility whether it's easy or not. Amen. You, you saw these parents up here this morning with all these children. Um, it, it's, it probably doesn't feel too good with, for them in the middle of the night to get up with a crying baby. But, but that's part of the responsibility. You understand? That, that, that goes with it. And it doesn't matter whether you feel like it or whether you're gifted in that area. You know, you, you, you don't, you're not a very good parent if you turn over and put the pillow over your head and say, well, that's just not my calling. I'm just not gifted there. I'm just not talented there. Um, I, I think, uh, no, 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 no. It's your responsibility. But, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. That responsibility opens up into a great opportunity. You know, if God had wanted to, he could have won the world with the preaching of angels. But he didn't do that. There was a time in my life when I used to wish that God would just let the angels preach the gospel to the world. But the older I get, the more I study the word, and the more I realize what an opportunity God has given to us, the more grateful I am that he's not using angels to preach the gospel. He's using us. What an opportunity. I heard years ago about a man who went to Australia. He had studied the geography of the land. He'd been over there and he'd, he'd, he'd done an in-depth study. And, and he was pretty sure he knew where he could strike gold. And he did. 
In fact, he struck so much gold, he formed a company and, um, and did a, a gold mine, and he became very, very wealthy, multimillionaire many times over in, in a short time once they started mining that gold. And so he wanted to come back home to America because in, in the community he was raised up in, you know, he was, he was kind of the, the boy when he graduated from high school, he was kind of the, uh, the boy that was most likely to never be heard of again you know, <laughs> sort of, sort of that guy. And, and so he, he wanted to, he wanted to go back in his old neighborhood and he wanted to call up some of the old buddies and, and show them, not just tell them, but show them, um, how, how he had succeeded in life. So he had gold bars made, uh, uh from, from some of his gold. He had a special vest made because he didn't want people to see him carrying that multi-millions of dollars around his waist and had inside pockets where he put those gold bars in, in the pockets of that vest. And um, he was going to come back home and, and deposit some of them and, you know, in secure place. Uh, but some he was going to take to his old neighborhood and show them what, uh, what uh, success he had been in life. And it, this was many, many years ago, so travel was not near as uh, like it is today. Modern travel is old, 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 and, and he's crossing the ocean on a ship. And, and they're going through an area where there's some islands uh, in the distance. You could see them way off in the distance. And for some re- unknown reason, the captain of that boat mis, uh, miscalculated and he rammed that boat into uh, an obstacle under the water that he didn't see, and it gashed a horrible hole in the boat, and it began to take on water and eventually began to sink. And, of course, they started letting the lifeboats down and directing everybody to those islands. And, and those who were athletic enough that really good swimmers, uh, they encouraged them to swim. And, and this guy with his gold wound up being the last one left with the exception of one little child that had somehow in all of the helter-skelter and the panic of what was going on had gotten left behind. A little girl about eight years old. And, and the, guy, the guy is, is uh, kind of fixing that vest around him and looking off at that island way off there in the horizon. And he was a good swimmer. And so he thought to himself, you know, I believe I can make it. And I believe I can carry this gold with me. I believe I'm a good enough swimmer that I can swim to that island and I can make it and not lose this gold. I don't want to leave this behind because we're talking about lots of money. And about the time he was ready to dive in the water, a little girl, that little eight-year-old girl, pulled on his trousers and said, Mr., could you save me? And he pushed her aside, looked at that island, and felt to that gold and was ready to dive in again. And, and she tugged on his trousers again with tears in her eyes. She said, Mr., could you save me? And so he looked at that little girl and he felt to that gold. And he realized he's going to have to make a decision because it was obvious that he could not swim with that weight of gold around him and that girl on his back as well. And so he's going to have to decide. And so finally he made his decision and he made the right decision. He took that vest off with all that gold and he laid it down on the deck of that boat. And he picked that little girl up and secured her around his neck 
And into the water they went. And he swam and he swam. He swam until he was exhausted and he was able to find a way to float for a little bit to get a little breath of air and, and, and a little, little reprieve and then again. And, and he kept going and kept going and kept going. And long, long story short, by the time they finally washed up on the shore of that little island, he was completely exhausted, almost dead. In fact, when he got there, he just rolled over and closed his eyes and, and almost passed out. And after a while, when the breezes began to blow and he kind of revived and came to and opened his eyes, that little girl was rubbing his brow saying, thank you, mister. Thank you, mister, for saving me. Thank you, mister, for saving me. Thank you for saving me. You know, Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? One soul is worth more than all the gold in Fort Knox. In fact, Jesus said it's worth more than the whole world. That man made the right decision. And do you realize that when you and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we give of our means to reach somebody on the mission field, when we witness to our neighbor next door or to the person with us at work or to a family member or friend, and they come to Jesus, do you realize that on the shores of glory, they're going to greet us saying, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for inviting me to visit your church where I sensed the presence of God and gave my heart to the Lord. What an opportunity we have, folks. And Jesus said that we will be rewarded eternally over those things that we do for him in the upbuilding of the kingdom of God. Anybody glad about that today? What an opportunity we have when we evangelize. Well, let me tell you, the need is for workers. The need is for workers. Let me give you a scripture, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said, to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send labors into his harvest. Wow. This is, this is again, from the Lord Jesus. He said, the, the need is for workers. The need, the need, the need, the need, the need, the need. Do, do, you, know, do you know we could win this world to Jesus in, a, in no time flat? If everybody that professes the name of Jesus would accept their part of the responsibility of evangelizing in their little world, everybody around them, amen? It would catch on. It would go from this one to that one to the next one. And before you know, we could, we could share the gospel until it reached the whole world. And we need to do that. We need to do that. In fact, we're, we're told that, that we, could, we should pray that the Lord would send labors. Lord, anoint more people and convict more people and help more people to realize that we need labors in the field. We need people that are willing to get out there and work and evangelize. So pray that the Lord will do that. Have you ever thought about your prayers? How many, how many, let me ask you this. How many of you really like for the Lord to answer your prayers? You like that? Wow. About 50, 75 of you really like for the Lord to 
answer your prayers. And it, 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 Pastor Reagan, is everybody asleep or did I miss something? What, what, what did I do? <laughs> Make sure your neighbor's awake. Punch your neighbor and say, listen, he's talking to you. <laughs> you ready? How many of you like for the Lord to answer your prayers? Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Man, I, I love it when you pray about something and you, boy, you get that answer. You say, boy, that was God. That was God. What a blessing. Well, let me ask you this. You ever wonder if, if God wouldn't get just as excited about us answering some of his prayers? You say, preacher, you mean the Lord prays? Well, Jesus did. And he prayed some prayers that only you and I can answer. You know, when we pray prayers to God, I, most of my prayers are, are for things that only God can do. And Jesus prayed some prayers that only we can answer. For example, in John 17, Jesus asked the Father for unity among the family of God. Well, you and I are the only ones that can really answer that prayer. But we can. We can. If we make up our mind, if we're going to get along with each other, we're going to love one another, we're going to do like Jesus said, then we're answering the prayer of Jesus. That's one of his prayers. Well, here's another. Jesus said, I want you guys to pray that, that, that there'll be workers, that laborers in the field. Well, we can answer that prayer for the Lord. We can say, Haha, here's one right here. In fact, if you'll go over to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah one time, he was, in the, he was in the house of God and the presence of God just filled the house of the Lord. And he heard a voice saying, who shall I go? Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah jumped up and said, here, here I am, right here, right here's one. I'll do that. He answered that prayer for the, from the Lord right there. Here's a prayer that the body of Christ ought to be praying, and we can answer it if we'll do our part. Amen? So let, let, let's do our part. Let's answer that prayer. Now, the disciples were the only ones, those that knew the Lord in that day, the only ones that could reach that first century generation, the first century of the church. We weren't back there. I can't do a thing about that. Our forefathers are the ones that were responsible for the generations coming up to where we are. Again, we can't do a thing about that. That's their responsibility. But listen, this 21st century that we're living in right now, this is our responsibility. This is our day. This is our opportunity. And we can do something about now. Can somebody say amen? And third and finally... There is the urgency of the harvest, the urgency of the harvest. Here's a scripture very similar to the one I read in Matthew. It's found in John chapter 4, verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Right now, you, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait another day. You don't have to wait another hour. The fields are white right now to harvest. Then <clears throat> that brings me to this point. The time to work is right now. This, it's time to go to work. It's time to get busy for the Lord. Look at Romans 13, 11, and 12. And do this, knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer when we, than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
put on the armor of light. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us that we are to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Light penetrates the darkness and salt preserves. Boy, they need us in this world more than they realize that they need us. And we need to let our light shine. Remember when you kids, we used to sing this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, it's time to do that. It's time to get that light on and let it shine. Let me read from Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, that's New King James, and I know that words like circumspectly, we, that's not part of our language anymore. So, words like that. So, let me read it in a more modern translation. Let me give you the NIV on this. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understanding what the word, of, what the will of the Lord is. Um, anybody believe that we're probably living in a time when there's some evil days? We're not going to have to wait for that, are we? I don't, if, if, if you don't think that we're living in some evil days, you must be watching a different news network than I'm watching because it looks to me like there's plenty of evil in the world. If you're waiting on the evil, it's here. So, so let's get with it. Let, let, me, let me make sure that you don't misunderstand this scripture. Let me give it to you from the ladies' version of the Bible. My wife's favorite version, the Amplified version. She loves the Amplified. The Amplified has lots of words. But it, but it does exactly that. It amplifies. It helps. I try to read the Bible through every year at least once. And uh, been doing that just about all my life. I was counting up the other day. I probably read the Bible through uh, 50, 60 times at least, maybe more than that. I know one year I read the New Testament through every 30 days, out loud on my knees. And boy, did I get fed with that. The more you read the Word, the, the, the more it feeds you and speaks to you. So I, I love the Word. But one year I decided to read the Amplified Version through. I like to never got through. I'm telling you, boy, I, you want to read, you read the amplified version from Genesis to Revelation. But here's this little short verse that I read to you from the amplified. Therefore, see that you walk carefully. That means living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who tolerate and enable evil. Not as unwise, but as wise. That means sensible, intelligent, discerning people. Making the very most of your time on the earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. Now, folks, if we get a firm grip on what the, you say, preacher, what is the will of the Lord? The apostle Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let me tell you what the will of God is. The will of God is that your neighbor gets saved. The will of God is that that person that works next to you gets saved. The will of God is that that relative of yours, even the mean one that you kind of just as soon not come to the next family gathering, it's God's will that they get saved. That's the will of God. And 
Paul says in this passage, we need to redeem our time. We need to make good use of our time and take advantage of every opportunity we have to let our light shine and to be a blessing to those around us so that they'll be drawn to Jesus. Can somebody come say amen? amen? Someone has said, and I like this little statement, this life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Again, I'm not preaching to the world out there this morning. I know what they're involved in and what they're, they've got their, you know, interest on. I'm talking to the church. Folks, 50 years from now, most of us in this congregation are going to be gone. In fact, 10 years will make a mighty healthy swath through here, and a lot of us will be gone. You understand what I'm saying? You, you're not here very long. And, and you young folks that feel like you're going to live forever, you're going to be my age before you turn around twice. You're going to be amazed at how fast it goes. You're going to look back and you say, wow, it seemed like yesterday I was sitting on the front seat with my youth pastor. It goes so fast. It goes so fast. <laughs> and listen, you can... You can work yourself to death trying to gain stuff in this world. You've heard me tell the story many times about the, the guy had a relative visit him from out of town. He was riding him around, showing him the city that he lived in, and he rode in a real wealthy section of town. He pointed to a mansion up on a hill, and he said, You see that, see that great big house up there? He said, That belonged to my uncle. Said he worked all of his life saving everything he could get a hold of, clawing and scratching and saving and investing, and, and that was his dream home. It's a mansion. He built that mansion. They hadn't lived in it six months. He had a heart attack and died. And his widow married a man 20 years younger than him, and he moved in that house with her. And in a year, she died. And then he married a gal about 10 years younger than him. Now there's two young squirts living up there in that mansion that my uncle killed himself working to accumulate and to have. Yeah, it, it goes. I preached hundreds of funerals in my lifetime, and I have yet to see one where when I pulled out behind the hearse or pulled out to lead the hearse that they had a U-Haul attached to the hearse pulling along behind it. You're not going to take it with you. You're going to leave it behind. Somebody close to John D. Rockefeller when he died said, Hey, friend, said, how much did old John D. leave? He said he left it all. And that's how much you're going to leave. You're going to leave it all behind unless. I, people used to tell me, you can't take it with you. I used to believe that until I realized you can send it ahead. Glory to God. You can lay up some treasures in heaven. Where moth does not corrupt it and rust doesn't bother it and thieves can't steal it and you can enjoy it forever. <laughs> Glory to God. So let's get busy for the Lord. There are nearly 35,000 people who are dying every day who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're trying to do something about it in this church. You, every month this year, every month, we're planning a church in an unreached people group in the rainforest of Africa that have never heard the name of Jesus. 
and they're receiving Jesus by the scores. Amen? Praise the Lord. Jack Haynes had been on a missions trip, and when he returned, he pastors in Australia. When he returned, the, uh, the driver that was taking him home uh, asked him what he was, what he was doing. He told him in kind of a smart-alecky, smirky way. He said, well, what about all them people that never heard the gospel of Jesus? Said, what, what's God going to say about them? And, uh, and Jack Haynes said to him, sir, I'm not near as concerned with what God's going to say. Our, the judge of all the earth shall do right, and God will take care of that, and that's up to him. I'm a whole lot more concerned about what God is going to say to me and to all of us who have the gospel and who know the truth, and we don't share it with other people. That's who I'm concerned about. And that's who I'm concerned about this morning when I look at myself in the mirror. And I realize that the days are passing fast and my life will soon be over on this earth. And the only thing that's going to last, the only thing that's going to count for anything when this life is over is what I've invested in kingdom work and in trying to gain others into the family of God. This final thought, and we'll pray. We have all of eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour to gain them or to win them. I attributed that to Jack Haynes, and I, I went back and did some research, and I realized that Jack was actually quoting somebody else, and I can't remember who the first person was that, that uh, came up with that equation. But the, what he did, he took the Scripture from the epistle of Peter that says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And then he figured up that basically we have about 12 hours a day that we can work because, you know, you got to take out your eight hours for sleeping. You got to take out your time for eating. You got to take out your time for bathing and, and essential things like that. So basically about 12 hours in a day when, when we can actually do something productive on a regular basis and he figured all that up in that equation and realized that we have about the equivalent of about 57 minutes or less than one hour of our life to do whatever we're going to do for the Lord and so I remind you again we're going to have all of eternity to celebrate our victories we've only got about 57 minutes to win those victories for the Lord what are we doing what are we doing Listen, I'm glad you're at church this morning. I want you to be at church next Sunday morning. I want you to bring somebody with you. I, I want to see the house filled to overflowing. I want to see us have to have more than two services on Sunday morning. I'd like to see us have seven services on the weekend. I, I just packed the house out over and over and over. That, that thrilled me. I'm glad about that. But listen, folks, go back to the Great Commission that I started with. He didn't call us to come and sit and soak and sour. He called us to come and refresh and revive and go out that door and go to work for the Lord. Amen. That, that's what, this is a holy huddle this morning. 
That's basically what it is. You only use football terms. This is a holy huddle. We come together and we, we huddle up. We're glad to see one another. We, we, we celebrate our victories. You know, we made that last first down. We celebrate that. We rejoice. And we worship the Lord. And we praise the Lord. And, and, but then we get back out on, on the field and we start trying to carry the ball, move things forward for the Lord. They'll allow you to have a huddle in a football game. You ever notice they have those huddles? But they limit the time that they have those huddles. And the reason they limit that time is because the game is to be played. It's not a time to just huddle. <laughs> Tony Evans said that watching the church today is like watching a professional football game on Sunday afternoon. You got 70,000 people in the stands who desperately need some exercise watching 22 men on the field who desperately need some rest. There's something wrong with that equation. There's something wrong with that equation. We, 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 this, is, this, is, this is a holy huddle, but let's not huddle too long. We're going to get penalized if we keep huddling. We need to get out there and get busy for the Lord. Amen. Get busy for the Lord. We've got work to do. We've got souls to win for his glory. This is our time. Did you realize that the only thing that, that we can't do in heaven that we're doing here today is evangelizing? When we get to heaven, we can sing, we can worship, we can pray, we can have church, we can do everything we do on Sunday morning in heaven except reach the lost for Jesus. It'll be too late then. There won't be. We're not, you know, li listen, I, <laughs> I know some people have got this theology that they believe that God in his mercy is just going to bring everybody on in and let. No, no, no. If it did, heaven would turn into what earth is. That's not what you're going to heaven for. To have another earth, it'd be greed and fight and prejudice and all kind of things going on up there. That, that's not going to, sin is not going to enter there. And we've got to do what we do quickly because our time is short. Let's get busy for God. Will you stand with me, please, this morning? I'm going to ask the, the prayer team and any staff members or small group leaders to come and help us today. We like to pray at the end of our services. We, we do most every Sunday. I want to encourage you, if you possibly can, to stay to the very end. We're going to have a song of celebration as we leave. And... Then the ushers will be at the back door to receive your offering. You notice we didn't receive an offering earlier. And so if you will, if you can, just stay with us for the next week. We'll be finished in about no less than five to ten minutes. Um, and, and Children's Church won't be finished till 1230 anyway. So if you can just stay with us a few minutes. We want to give you an opportunity to pray. And this is a very special time in the service. Great things happen at this altar. Great things happen at this altar. Lives are changed at this altar. Lost people come to this altar and find Jesus and are born again. People get spirit-filled at this altar. People get healed at this altar. Needs are met. And so I would encourage you today, if you have a need of any kind, if you're sick in body and you'd like somebody to agree with you by faith for your healing, just come. Any one of these people will be glad to just take your hand and say, we'll agree together. We'll stand on the word of God 
and believe God to work a miracle in your life. Whatever you may need, whatever you may need. Some of you may want to come forward this morning and just say, Preacher, I'd just like to come down towards the altar and just pray and ask the Lord to give me wisdom. You know, you preached this morning on evangelizing. That's just not, that's just not, it doesn't come natural for me. I'm, I'm not gifted in that area. If you'll come and ask God to open a door, give you wisdom, God may give you an idea that could just transform lives all around you. I remember many years ago, the first time, way back, in fact, it was back in the 70s, a little lady named Ann Kemal. At the time, she was just a single young girl, and she's written several books that became bestsellers. She she's a, became a powerhouse for Jesus, but in her early days, she just didn't know how to witness. She didn't, she'd seen, you know, the different programs, the, the Roman road and the evangelism explosion and all of those things, but for some reason, it just didn't, it, it just didn't fit with her. She just didn't seem, and so she just asked the Lord to, to give her some idea how she could help. When she was praying one day, the Lord just reminded her, said, you know, you love to bake and cook. She said, yeah, I sure do. And the Lord said, you know, people just love your chocolate chip cookies, the aroma cookies. Boy, don't you love to smell three people headed for the exit trying to get something to eat. No. Listen, the Lord said, why don't you just use that talent? And when you're baking cookies, bake some extra, put them in a little special bag and Take them to somebody in your apartment complex that may be hurting or in need or somebody that's new that's moved to the neighborhood. And she started doing it and just fell in love with the idea and she just kept doing it. It became a part of her life. Every week she'd, she'd just bake a whole bunch of cookies and put them in little bags and she would look for new people moving in the neighborhood or new people mo moving into her apartment complex or somebody that had been sick or somebody that was discouraged or somebody that was going through a divorce or somebody that had to drop out of school or somebody that lost her job or something. She'd knock on the door and say, with a great big smile from ear to ear, she said, you know, I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you and I love you too and I baked you some cookies. Just I give them to you in the name of Jesus. And, and people started asking her, where did that joy come from? And she got a chance to give them her testimony. That joy is from the Lord. And she began to win people to Jesus right and left. By the hundreds, she won people to Jesus in her lifetime. Just baking cookies and knocking on the door. There's something you can do. Maybe you'd like to come down this morning and ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm like Isaiah. Here I am. I'm willing. But I need a plan. I need wisdom. I need direction. I, I need you to just anoint me and help me. God will do that. Because let me tell you, folks, when you begin to evangelize, you're driving yourself into the heart of God because that's what God's interested in. Remember what I said a while ago? He's not willing that any should perish. Jesus died so that people could be saved. You'll never be blessed like you'll be blessed when you share Jesus with somebody else. Bow your heads with me, if you will, please. I want you to start moving towards the altar. What we're going to do, what we're going to do, those of you who come forward for prayer, we're going to give you time here to be prayed for, prayed with. And the rest of us, we're going to, we're going to be praying in our seats. 
And you can continue to stand if you'd like to, or you can be seated if you'd like to for the next few minutes. About five minutes, we're just going to worship the Lord as Brother Steve leads us in, in a song. And we're just going to sing and worship the Lord together. And then Pastor Reagan will come to close the service out. And we'll have that song of celebration as we leave. And the ushers will greet you at the door. God bless you as you pray.